Hello, and welcome to the Dead Author Society. I'm Artemis Rosier. Today, we celebrate Frank Herbert. Date of death, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. Dune Messiah Chapter 20 You are the instrument I was taught to play, Vijar said. I am playing you. Let me tell you the names of the other traitors among the names. They are the cars and Kahui. There is Jadida, who was secretary to there is Abu Mojandas, the aid to energy. Even now, one of them could be sinking a blade into your Maldiv. Hate shook his head from side to side. He found it too difficult to talk. We are like Brothers, Vijas said, interrupting his monotonous hum once more. We grew in the same tank, I first, and then you. Hate's metal eyes inflicted him with a sudden burning pain. Flickering red haze surrounded everything he saw. He felt he'd been cut away from every immediate sense except the pain, and he experienced his surroundings through a thin separation, like windblown cars. All had become accident, the chance involvement of inanimate matter. His own will was no more than a subtle shifting thing. He'd lived without breath and was intelligible, only as an inward illumination. With a clarity born of desperation, he broke through the gauze curtain with the lonely sense of sight. His attention focused like blazing light under Vijay's. Hate felt that his eyes cut through layers of the dwarf, seeing the little man as a hired intellect. And beneath that, a creature imprisoned by hungers and cravings, which lay huddled in the eyes. Layer after layer, until finally, there was only an entity aspect being manipulated by symbols. We are upon a battleground, Vijaya said. You may speak of it. His voice freed by the command. Hate said, You cannot force me to slay Maudib. I have heard the Bene Gesserit say, Josh said, That there is nothing firm, nothing balanced, nothing durable in all the universe, that nothing remains in its state, that each day, 
Sometimes each hour brings change. Pate shook his head dumbly from side to side. You believe the silly emperor was the prize we sought? Bajaz said. How little you understand our masters, the Dilalexu. The guild and Vinagesserit believe we produce artifacts. In reality, we produce tools and services. Anything can be a tool. Poverty. War. War is useful because it is effective in so many areas. It stimulates the metabolism. It enforces government. It diffuses genetic strains. It possesses a vitality such as nothing else in the universe. Only those who recognize the value of war and exercise it have any degree of self-determination. In an oddly placid voice, Hate said, Strange thoughts coming from you. Almost enough to make me believe in a vengeful providence. What restitution was exacted to create you? It would make a fascinating story, doubtless, with an even more extraordinary epilogue. Magnificent. Pajaz <laughs> chortled. You attack, therefore you have willpower and exercise. Self-determination. You are trying to awaken violence in me. Haid said in a panting voice. Jazz denied this with a shake of the head. Awaken, yes. Violence, no. You are a disciple of awareness by training, so you have said... I have an awareness to awaken in you, Duncan Idaho. Hate, Duncan Idaho, killer extraordinary, lover of many women, swordsman soldier, Atreides field hand on the battlefield, Duncan Idaho. Past cannot be awakened. Cannot. It has never been done. True, but our masters defy the idea that something cannot be done. Always they seek the proper tool, the right application of effort, the services of the proper. You hide your real purpose. You throw up a screed of words and they mean nothing. There is a Duncan Idaho in you. Pajaz said, It will submit to emotion or to dispassionate examination, but submit it will. This awareness will rise through a screen of suppression and selection out of the dark past, which dogs your footsteps. It goads you even now while it holds you back. 
there exists that being within you upon which awareness must focus, and which you will obey. The telelocks who think I'm still their slave, but I, quiet slave, Jaws said in that whining voice. He'd find himself frozen in silence. Now we are down to bedrock, Jaz said. I know you feel it. And these are the power words to manipulate you. I think they will have sufficient leverage. He'd felt the perspiration pouring down his cheeks. The trembling of his chest and arms. But he was powerless to move. One day, Jaz said, the Emperor will come to you. He will say she is gone. The grief mask will occupy his face. He will give water to the dead as they call their tears hereabouts. You will say, using my voice, Master, oh Master. Hate's jaw and throat arched with the locking of his muscles. He could only twist his head in a brief arc from side to side. You will say, I carry a message from the jaws. The dwarf grimaced. Poor Vajaz, who has no mind for Vajaz, a drum stuffed with messages. An essence for others to use. Bound on Vajaz as he produces noise. Again he grimaced. You think me a hypocrite. Duncan, I know I am not. I can grieve too, but the time has come to substitute swords for words. <clears throat> A hiccup shook hate. <laughs> the jaws giggled then. Ah, oh, thank you, Duncan, thank you. The demands of the body save us. As the Emperor carries the blood of the Harkonnens in his veins, he will do as we demand. He will turn into a spitting machine, a biter of words that ring with a lovely noise to our masters. He blinked, thinking how the dwarf appeared like an alert little animal, thing of spite and rare intelligence. Conan blood in the Atreides. You think of Beast Ravon, the vile Harkonnen, and you glare. Just said, You are like the Fremen in this. When words fail, the sword is always at hand, eh? You think of the torture inflicted upon your family by the Harkonnens and through his mother. Your precious ball is Harkonnen. You would not find it difficult to slay Harkonnen now, would you? Bitter frustration coursed through the gula. Was it anger? Why should this cause anger? 
Oh, it just said it. And, uh, <laughs> there is more to the message. It is a trade that Hilalaxu offer your precious polar traders. Our masters will restore his beloved. Assister to yourself another gula. Kate felt suddenly that he existed in a universe occupied only by his own heartbeats. A gula, it just said. It will be the flesh of his beloved. She will bear his children. She will love only him. We can improve on the original, if he so desires. Did ever a man have greater opportunity to regain what he'd lost? It is a bargain. He will leap to strike. The jaws noted, eyes drooping as though tiring. Then he will be tempted, and in his distraction you will move close. In the instant you will strike, two ghouls, not one. That is what our masters demand. <clears throat> the dwarf cleared his throat, nodded once more, said, Speak. I will not do it, Hate said. But Duncan Idaho would, Jazz said. It will be the moment of supreme vulnerability for this descendant of the Harkonnens. Do not forget this. You will suggest improvements to his beloved, perhaps a deathless heart, gentler emotion. You will... Offer asylum as you move close to him. A planet of his choice somewhere beyond the Imperium. Think of it. His beloved restored. No more need for tears. In a place of idols to live out his years. A costly package. Hate said probing. Alas, the price. Tell him we must renounce his godhead and discredit the Quisarot. He must discredit himself. His sister. Nothing more. Hate asked, sneering. He must relinquish his chum holdings naturally. Naturally. And if you're not yet close enough to strike... Speak of how much the Tilelaxu admire what he has taught them about the possibilities of religion. Tell him the Tilelaxu have a department of religious engineering, shaping religions to particular needs. How very clever, Hate said. You think yourself free to sneer and disobey me? Just said he cocked his head slyly to one side. Don't deny it. They made you well, little animal. Hate said. And you as well. Dorf said. You will tell him to hurry. 
flesh decays and her flesh must be preserved in a cryological tank. He felt himself floundering, caught in a matrix of objects he could not recognize. The dwarf appeared so sure of himself. There had to be but the flaw in the Dilalax of logic, making their gula they keyed him to the voice of the jazz, but, but what logic matrix object? How easy it was to mistake clear reasoning or correct reasoning. It was Dilalax who logic distorted. Jazz smiled, listened as though to a hidden voice. Now you will forget, he said. When the moment comes, you will remember. He will say, she is gone. Duncan Idaho will awaken then. The dwarf clapped his hands together. Hate grunted, feeling that he had been interrupted in the middle of a thought. Or perhaps in the middle of a sentence, what was it? Something about targets. You think to confuse me and manipulate me, he said. How is that? The Jaws asked. I'm your target and you can't deny it, he said. I would not think of denying it. What is it you try to do with me? A kindness, the Jaws said. A simple kindness. The sequential nature of actual events is not illuminated with lengthy precision by the powers of prescience, except under the most extraordinary circumstances. The oracle grasps incidents cut out of the historic chain. Eternity moves. It inflicts itself upon the oracle and the supplicant alike. Let my deep subjects doubt his majesty and his oracular visions. Let them deny his powers. Let them never doubt eternity. The Dune Gospels Hate watched Alia emerge from her temple and cross the plaza. Her guard was bunched close. Fierce expressions on their faces, masked the lines molded by good living and complacency. A heliograph of thopter wings flashed in the bright afternoon sun above the temple. Part of the royal guard with Maldives' fist symbol on its fuselage. He'd returned his gaze to Alia. She looked out of place here in the city. He thought her proper setting was the desert, open, untrammeled space. An odd thing about her came back to him as he watched her approach. Alia appeared thoughtful only when she smiled. It's a trick of the eyes, he decided, recalling a cameo memory of her as she had appeared at the reception for the guild ambassador. Haughty. Amongst a background of music and brittle conversation among extravagant gowns and uniforms. And Alia had been wearing white, dazzling, 
bright garment of chastity. He had looked down upon her from a window as she crossed an inner garden with its formal pond, its fluting fountains, ponds of pompous grass and white belvedere. Entirely wrong, all wrong. She belonged in the desert. Hate drew in a ragged breath. Alia had moved out of his view, then, as she did now. He waited, clenching and unclenching his fists. The interview with Bajaz had left him uneasy. He heard Alia's entourage pass outside the room where he waited. She went into the family corners. Now he tried to focus on the thing about her shoveled him the way she'd walked across the plaza yes she'd moved like a hunted creature fleeing some predator he stepped out onto the connecting balcony walked along it behind the plasmount sunscreen stopped while still in concealing shadows Alia stood at the balustrade overlooking her temple. He looked where she was looking, out over the city. He saw rectangles, blocks of color, creeping movements of life and sound. Structures gleamed, shimmered. Heat patterns spiraled off the rooftops. There was a boy across the way, bouncing a ball in a cul-de-sac. Formed by a buttressed massif at a corner of the temple. Back and forth the ball went. Alia too watched the ball. She felt a compelling identity with that ball back and forth, back and forth. She sensed herself bouncing through corridors of time. The potion at Milan she drained just before leaving the temple was the largest she'd ever attempted. A massive overdose. Even before beginning to take effect, it had terrified her. Why did I do it? She asked herself. One made a choice between dangers. Was that it? This was the way to penetrate the fog spread over the future by that damnable dune tarot. The barrier existed. It must be breached. She had acted out of necessity to see where it was her brother walked with his eyeless stride. The familiar melange fugue state began creeping into her awareness. She took a deep breath, experienced a brittle form of calm, poised and selfless. Possession of second sight has a tendency to make one a dangerous fatalist, she thought. Unfortunately, there existed no abstract leverage, no calculus of prescience. Visions of the future could not be manipulated as formulas. One had to enter them, risking life and sanity. The figure moved from the harsh shadows of the adjoining balcony. The gula, 
In her heightened awareness, Alia saw him with intense clarity. The dark, lively features dominated by those glistening metal eyes. He was a union of terrifying opposites, something put together in a shocking, linear way. It was shadow and blazing light, product of the process which had revived his dead flesh in something intensely pure, innocent. He was innocent under siege. You've been there all along, Duncan. She asked. So I'm to be Duncan? He said. Why? Don't question me. She said. And she thought, looking at him, that the Telelaksu had left no corner of their gola unfinished. Only gods can safely risk perfection, she said. It's a dangerous thing for a man. Duncan died he said, wishing she would not call him that. I made. She studied his artificial eyes, wondering what they saw. Observed closely, they betrayed tiny black pockmarks, little wells of darkness in the glittering metal, facets. The universe shimmered around her and lurched. She steadied herself with a hand on the sun-warmed surface of the balustrade. Ah, the launch moved swiftly. Are you ill? Hate asked. Moved closer. Steely eyes opened wide, staring. Who spoke? She wondered. Was it Duncan, Idaho? Was it the Mintat Gula? Or the Zinsuni philosopher? Or was it Atilidaxupan? More dangerous than any guilt steersman. Her brother knew. Again, she looked at the gula. There was something inactive about him now. A latent something. He was saturated with waiting. With powers beyond their common life. Out of my mother, I am like the Bene Gesserit, she said. Do you know that? I know it. I can use their powers, think as they can. Part of me knows the sacred urgency of the breeding program and its products. She blinked, feeling part of her awareness begin to move freely in time. It's said that the Bene Gesserit would never let go. He said, and he watched her closely, noting how white her knuckles were where she gripped the edge of the balcony. Have I stumbled? She asked. He marked how deeply she breathed, with tension in every movement, the glazed appearance of her eyes. When you stumble, he said, you may regain your balance by jumping beyond the thing that tripped you. The Benajasser had stumbled, she said. Now they wish to regain their balance by leaping beyond my brother. They want Chani's baby. Or mine. Are you with child? She struggled to fix herself in a time-space relationship to the question. With child? When? Where? 
I see. My child? She whispered. She moved away from the balcony's edge, turned her head to look at the gula. He had a face of salt, bitter eyes, two circles of glistening lead, and as he turned away from the light to follow her movement, blue shadows. What do you see with such eyes? She whispered. What other eyes see? He said. His words rang in her ears, stretching her awareness. She felt that she reached across the universe, such as stretching out, out. She lay intertwined with all time. You've taken the spice of a large dose, he said. Why can't I see him? She muttered. The womb of all creation held her captive. Tell me, Duncan, why I cannot see him. Who can't you see? Cannot see the father of my children? I'm lost in a tarot fog. Help me. Mintad logic offered its prime computation, and he said, Bene Gesserit want a meeting between you and your brother. It would lock the genetic. A whale escaped her. <laughs> the egg in the flesh. <sighs> she gasped. A sensation of chill swept over her, followed by intense heat. The unseen mate of her darkest dreams. Flesh of her flesh that the oracle could not reveal. Would it come to that? You risked a dangerous dose of the spice, he asked, something within him fought to express the utmost terror at the thought that an Atreides woman might die, that Paul might face him with the knowledge that a female of the royal family had gone. You don't know what it's like to hunt the future, she said. Sometimes I glimpse myself. I get in my own way. I cannot see through myself. She lowered her head, shook it from side to side. How much of the spice did you take? He asked. Nature abhors prescience, she said, raising her head. Did you know that, Duncan? He spoke softly reasonably as to a small child. Tell me how much of the spice you took. He took hold of her shoulder with his left hand. Words are such gross machinery, so primitive and ambiguous. She said she pulled away from his hand. You must tell me, he said. Look at the shield wall, she commanded, pointing. She sent her gaze along her own outstretched hand, trembled as the landscape crumbled in an overwhelming vision, a sandcastle destroyed by invisible waves. She averted her eyes, was transfixed by the appearance of the ghoul's face. His features crawled, became aged, then young, aged, young. He was life itself assertive, endless. 
She turned to flee, but he grabbed her left wrist. I'm going to summon a doctor, he said. No, you must let me have the vision. I have to know. You are going inside now, he said. She stared down at his hand, where their flesh touched. She felt an electric presence that both lured and frightened her. She jerked free, gasped. You can't hold whirlwind. You must have medical help. He snapped. Thanks for listening to the Dead Authors Society. Be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.